Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. So, who will forget the Stuart Broad fairy tale ending to a brilliant career, taking the final wicket to give England a thrilling 49-run win at the Oval to draw the Ashes. We'll hear from both captains and Nottinghamshire head coach Peter Moores will join us to pay tribute to Broad. We'll also discuss how Australia might be feeling after missing the opportunity to win an Ashes series in England for the first time since 2001. And we'll ask what next for England, with a five-test series to come in India in six months' time. A former Kent opener and broadcaster David Fulton will also join us and we'll end the show by looking at any other business, as Yorkshire's sanctions are finally announced. And both Ireland and Scotland, as expected, qualify for next year's T20 World Cup. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harmi, I couldn't see it coming. I thought it was going to end as a damp squib, but four wickets for the cost of just 11 runs in four overs, and suddenly the game was turned on its head. Did you see that coming, or were you also getting a bit nervous after the rain break on the last day? Yeah, I was getting nervous after the rain break, I must admit. But I think with the rain, you've got, especially when you sort of shorten the time to finish, it means your best bowlers are bowling. There's no trying to look after people for further down the line or wait till the tail comes in. Like the start of the innings when Mark Wood didn't bowl, it was, it's literally you've got, you know, 40-odd overs, your best bowlers will bowl, um, a couple of long spells, and you just need one breakthrough, and one brings two. And on a turning wicket, you, you could see Moen was, was looking dangerous, so... Well, we got the breakthrough, but the big wicket for me was Wokes. Wokes got Smith once Smith had gone. That I think he got Smith was about 130 to win. That's a long way from the end of the game. And there was it was never going to be a question for the overs because I think the overs were always on England's side. Um, so once Smith went, you thought, oh, we got the England have now really got a chance to win the game because that's a lot of runs. So fair play to, to England, fair play to, to Moen and, and to Chris Wokes to get them in that position and then. Brendan McCollum says about Ben Stokes, he writes his own scripts. I don't think, well, it wasn't a bad one that Stuart wrote, Stuart brought wrote for himself to finish the game. So six to win, six off his last ball in Test cricket with a bat, a wicket off his last ball with a ball. I think that's a fitting tribute to a man who um, who's given everything for his country and what a way to go out. The anticipation before the series, of course, was just a reached boiling point um, before this first Test match. We spoke for six months on this show about whether it might uh, live up to expectations and whether it might even match the iconic 2005 series. Before I ask you about whether it lived up to your expectations, this is what Ben Stokes had to say afterwards. I definitely think that over the last seven weeks in particular that we've managed to sort of drag a new audience towards Test Cricket. And I think the series is generally what Test Cricket needed to high-quality teams going out at toe-to-toe for six, seven weeks, and the cricket that's been played has been something that you really couldn't take your eyes off. Every session has been its own sort of game, if that makes sense. You know, we've been in control, Australia have been in control in different ways. Everyone who's turned up here, well, turned up to the games and bought a ticket has really enjoyed their days of cricket, and I guess that's sort of 
all you can really ask for is someone who, who pays money to come and watch an international sport. And yeah, I really hope that we've inspired a new generation. You know, I look back to 2005 and what that series did for me as a young person, and I really hope there's someone at my age in 2005 who's looked at this series and said, that's what I want to be doing when I'm, you know, 21, 22. Well, he was right, Harmy, wasn't he? I mean, it. Um, I, I can't help feeling a sense of deflation now <laughs> that... Yeah. We've got no more Test cricket to come this summer. I mean, it was it was squeezed into a very short uh, window, but what a what a window it was! Yeah, what a window it was. Brendan McCullum's talking to the TV at the end of the game, going, yeah, "I don't want it to finish. I want it to carry on. Yeah, let's go round again." I'm sure there's a few bowlers on both sides going up yours. There's no chance of us doing that again. So, look, yeah, five five Test matches in in six weeks. There's there's been a huge. Comparison to 2005, I think it's been a, it has been hugely similar for the new audience. It's been fantastic. Uh, the commentators went about it on, on the last day talking about how the, the similarities and possibly there was more quality from 2005 with the, the players that were on show. I can, you know, name half a dozen names as in the, the likes of Warren and McGrath, Ponting, and, and, and the bowling attack that England had, Peterson. So from that point of view, do you know the difference for me, having covered the series from home, is how good a quality the visual experience was from a TV point of view. I thought Sky did an amazing job at covering the uh, the whole series. Their stuff in between, yeah, the the replay, and yeah, as a fan, as an armchair fan watching that series from home, yeah, I tell you what, you you couldn't, you got everything. You literally could have been. You might as well have been sitting inside, inside the stadium. It was a, it was an amazing experience from a fan over five years. So, over five Test matches. So, I know two thousand and five was on terrestrial TV, and a lot more people watched it or had access to it. But because of you yeah, had the highlights show um, on terrestrial TV, I thought Sky did an amazing job um, with the commentary, with the um, with the, the replays, with the footage, and with just explaining what cricket is to people who didn't know it, who were getting more and more in the series. So for me, I think that's why it made it even made it better because of the viewing experience it had for people at home. And I love the way that Sky also used the opportunity to shine a spotlight on a number of causes from the Ruth Strauss Foundation yeah. to the Bob Willis Fund to awareness of prostate cancer. I mean, they... They used what they knew was a very, very bright spotlight and shone it not just on sport and on cricket. Absolutely. And in the last one, the last test match, I sent you a message um, when Marcus Truscothic did the video about Alzheimer's. My dad's suffering from Alzheimer's and he's got it pretty bad. And 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 to see the way that you know the England cricket team went about it during that last test match and Tres did the video, it was brilliant. It was almost a I, I was emotional about it because obviously what what my, my family's going through at the minute with, you know, this strong man who's who, who's slowly but surely disintegrating because of a horrendous disease, this Alzheimer's, that Alzheimer's is. So to see the players shine a light on it and talk about it and hopefully raise the money that they're raising to, to, to sort of try and find a cure is, is, um, is even more special. So well done to the team, well done to Marcus um, and everybody on the TV for showing what is, you know, all the great causes. We've had Sir Andrew Strauss on. We've had the Bob Willis Fund on. This really has been not just a great advert for cricket, but I think just a, a great way of expressing humanity over the course of the last six and a half weeks. Talking of humanity, a lot of speculation about uh, whether Pat Cummins is the right man to continue as captain of Australia. I just think as a human being, he's magnificent. And I, for goodness sake, the blacks come over to England won the World Test Championship, retained the Ashes, and I think has uh, you know proven that you don't have to be nasty to be a winner. Um, and that, for a long time, was the Australian way. But let's hear from, from Cummins afterwards. Because we've had really good series, especially at home, and we've had a lot of success, kind of the bar gets raised a little bit. Um, so coming over here, retaining the Ashes, feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity. But, you know, in, in 2019... We were kind of all pretty happy about a retain Ashes. So I don't think it's we should lose sight of that. I think it's a huge achievement to come over here and, and win um, and, and get ourselves into many winning positions. Same in India, we got ourselves into some really good positions. So, yeah, again, just kind of just missed 
what we're hoping to come over here to achieve, but winning the World Test Championship with Tony Ashes is a pretty successful tour. And he's a pretty successful captain as well, Harmy. I think, you know, we, again, we've spoken many, many times about the preconceptions that we have about the game, and you, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't, your keeper can't bat in the top three long-term. Fast bowlers can't captain test teams. Well, I think it's up to him, you know. I, I mean, I, I think that he's got some very, very good senior figures around him. Steve Smith takes over the the on-field job when Cummins is bowling. And I just think that although we shouldn't make too much, I suppose, about the ambassadorial role of, of being a captain, he is an absolutely perfect advertisement for, for the game, isn't he? He is. I think he's an amazing man. I think he's an unbelievable cricketer. I just think sometimes people like to hear, people like to whinge and moan. You get their own name in lights rather than the person that they're having a go at. I just don't get the criticism of, of Pat Cummins. I really don't. This England team must be an absolute nightmare to, to captain against because they could, like they did in the first two test matches, just give you the game, give you the wicket away. Open the door for you when you just think the door is completely slammed shut. And then when England learned their lessons, it headed me at Old Trafford. Yes, he looked as though he had the world on his shoulders. He was getting a run around. But I'm sorry, you could have put Steve Wall, Ricky Ponton, Alan Border in charge of Australia at Old Trafford. Ben Stokes' team would give them the run around. Not a problem at all. So I'm not sure what people want out of Pat Cummins. I look at the rest of the team and go, there's nobody else there, captain. Kawaja, Warner, no chance. You know, Head's been a captain before, but he's only new-ish to the side. <clears throat> Labashin doesn't look as though Australia would, would trust him with a captaincy. Smith's had it, can't do it, Carey. So, and then you got into the realms of Wikiba captain. So I'm not saying he's the only man for the job, but at the time he was, and what he's done, won the World Test Championship, regained the Ashes in England. Just give the guy a break. I thought he was, I thought he's, been a, you, you mentioned about being ambassador. He bowled brilliantly, I think, in this series. I've questioned some of his tactics. Why he didn't use the new ball is, as honestly, I just there's the biggest one beyond me. It, it just seems as that he's too nice of a guy, and he'd rather he'd, he'd rather just go right. I'll bowl first, Jen. You two, here's the wooden start. You two want to open the bowl, and so you can bowl first. I'd encourage him to take more responsibility with the new ball. But apart from that, I think he's done exactly what he set out to do, which was come over here. And he's achieved his, I think he's achieved his minimum goals. And very quickly, Harmy, we'll talk more about Jimmy Anderson later on in the show. But, um, you know, a lot of people are saying now, was it just a barren spell? Was he really bowling as well as he always has? Ben Stokes gave him his unequivocal backing and, and said that he wants him in the team and he wants him to carry on. But, you know, a lot of people did say the wrong bloke retired. Yeah, possibly the, the wrong bloke, bloke did retire, but I think sometimes when it, it hits you and it, it hits you smack in the face, and it, obviously it's hit Stuart, he's gone. But from a Jimmy's point of view, I thought he bowled all right. I really did. And the reasons why I, I, I look at why I think he bowled all right, when you look at you look at Jimmy and he's been successful, he builds pressure. He builds pressure for him to use his skills to get the batter out. He both builds pressure for the team. By bowling maidens, he bowled more maidens than the whole entire Australia unit over five Test matches. And Jimmy bowled thirty-seven maidens in the in the in the Test series. And I think across the across the um, the Test series, the cumulative overs bowled by Australia there wasn't thirty-seven maidens. And what normally happens with that? And I'm not just looking for excuses to find where to look after Jimmy Anderson. But what he normally does off that, when he builds the pressure, he gets the wickets. Some reason in this series, he just hasn't gotten the wickets. I thought he could have gone at the oval. I thought he looked tired at the oval. I thought he looked really tired at the oval. Maybe he he might regret not going out at the oval with Stuart in the future because six months is a long time for a forty-one year old not to play to play cricket to be ready for India. Um, so time will tell on on that one. Will England even take him to India? That's a, a big burning question as well. Whether just leave him and bring him back in the summer for, for one final swan song against West Indies or Sri Lanka. But all in all, if you look at the numbers, the numbers don't lie. Jimmy Anderson, both 150 overs, got four wickets, an average of 85. And I think you could see why a lot of people were clamming for his retirement. 
I think they should take him to India and maybe just play him in Dharamsala. (laughs) There are some pretty dry and dusty wickets on that itinerary. Again, I've kept, never write like great off. You would never write Warren off. You would never write McGrath. When you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I, I hoped he'd retire because of what he's done for the game. And I was at the over for four out of the five days and, Stewart's looking around going, yeah, this is the best way to go. This is the right time to go. Maybe he's, Jimmy didn't want to sort of boil the parade, but it did seem the right time. But if he turns around to me and says, I want, I want to carry on, I feel fit enough. There's nothing else that I, I want to do other than play cricket. Still feel as though I can contribute. I'd believe him because I know he's going to go away. I know he's going to be fit. I know he's going to be strong. But it's just them accumulative overs going into a five-test match series in India. Where does he get them from to keep the wheels going, to keep them the body in, in a position to, to play cricket? That's going to be a big ask for Jimmy over the course of the foreseeable future. And finally, Broad did make the point that um, it wouldn't have been fair on the team or on Stokes, actually, for them both to go out. He said there needed to be a crossover period, and um, that's a good point. Anyway, you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll continue to look back at uh, the Summer's Ashes series. And we're joined by Nottinghamshire head coach Peter Moores as he pays tribute to Stuart Broad. All gone. Brilliant from Broad. Eight for 15, best bowling figures on this ground. I've probably been thinking for a couple of weeks and half eight, I just text Stokes, he's saying, can I come see you? Walked in, shook his hand and said, that's me. I don't think we can ever put him on a pedestal too high because he's been a, a wonderful servant for English cricket. Broad yeah! bowling! A bit of a cutter from Stuart Broad. He's got two in four balls. What an incredible career. He's um, very difficult, really, to put into words the enormity of what, what he achieved. Broad has uh, been an unbelievable performer um, over many years. I mean, well done, Stuart. He's had an incredible career. You know, hats off to him. You know, a fantastic man and a fantastic career. Oh, it's taken. England's plan has worked. Broad has his man, and it is 600 for Stuart Broad. I knew deep down that I wanted to finish uh, playing cricket at the very top. The more I think about it, the more I think it's absolutely perfect because he's going out on a high. Here's another one because Broad's got it to nip back and bold as Devon Conway. Beauty from Broad. There's no bigger stage, I don't think, really, to walk off um, and thank the cricket-loving public for uh, for all their support, is that? When the big games come, the really big games come, boy, has he turned up. It's been it's been a wonderful career from Stuart Broad. He's just a champion. He'll go down as a legend, one of the greats, uh, and, yeah, just all the best to him. He is big, he is bad, he is better than his dad. He's Stuart Broad. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at the... 2023 Ashes, which turned out to be Stuart Broad's final series in professional cricket before he announced his retirement. Stuart's more than just a, a person I walk out into the field with. I played a lot of cricket with him. You know, when he announced his retirement and <laughs> I told my wife that this was going to be his last game, she was like, oh, like, Broady is, is the one who messaged me saying that Ben's got home safe after a, after a good night out, after we've won a test match. So she doesn't have that anymore. So it's going to be someone else, probably Ruti. But um, yeah, look, Brody's been a massive advocate for fast bowlers in terms of his longevity, what he's achieved, the amount of wickets he's done. Um, I think he's an inspiration to many people who want to make a career out of cricket and being a fast bowler. You know, 160-odd test matches is not an easy thing to be able to do as a bowler. And, you know, he definitely should be someone that people look up to if they... They want to have a successful career in international cricket being a bowler. He's just been incredible. I know people will always look back on the certain moments in his career, but he's he's definitely better than that. But he's he's someone who has produced unbelievable moments on the field. But you know, you can't pigeonhole him to someone who's who's only produced certain things at certain moments because six hundred and six hundred and four um is something that he should be very, very proud of. That was England captain Ben Stokes talking about Stuart Broad, of course. Is there, are there any particular moments, um, periods, spells? Not, not, I mean, we know the numbers. We know that 
he's one of the only bowlers ever to take seven uh, to take five wickets in a single spell seven times during his career but for me the moment that stands out about the man the personality was at the beginning of the first test at the gabba after what was it 2014 when the local newspaper the herald tribune had um encouraged the crowd to boo and jeer and the noise yeah. and the animosity and he stood at the top of his run-up and you know I was watching from thousands of miles away and just from the tv I could feel this wave of vitriol and anger I just thought that was me standing at the top of my run-up I'm not sure that my knees would have held up but he responded to what was the one of the most pressure-filled moments I've ever experienced albeit second-hand and, you know, that's just a measure of the character of the man, isn't it? Absolutely. Just say he's meticulous in planning, preparation, the way he goes about his bowling. And I've always said on this show and whatever I've been talking about, fast bowling, it's not an exact science. It's done by humans. We're not robots. The closest thing I've seen to a, a computer that's bowled in test cricket, Stuart Broad, because he is so meticulous in the way he does things. He talks about getting information in. You watch him when he's you watch him when he's he's about he's at the top of his mark and he's got the ball in his hand and the ball's in his hand and his fingers are so precise on on where he puts his fingers on the ball. It just seems as though all this information's being inputted into a computer and he runs up in bowls and yeah, that's when the human element takes over when he's running in and bowl. But the the spells the the best one for me and I was fortunate to be on the field. And that was in 2009 because that one really announced him. In 2009, against Australia at the Oval, he got five wickets in a spell and that really announced him to, to the world and to Ashes Cricket, Rebol, Ricky Ponton, LBW, uh, Shane Watson. And he once he got on that role, he, he was very, very difficult to stop. And we've seen him at Chelsea Street, we've seen him at Trent Bridge. He was brilliant when he got going. But for me, the best fella bowling I've seen him bowl are the biggest, the best Ashes one. I know he got eight for 15 at Trent Bridge, but he announced himself to Ashes cricket in the world in 2009. And just don't see this young kid just fly in. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. And I said the other day, I, I think he was on a breakfast show. We did 2020 practice about 2007 when he first came in. And he was, I hadn't played a lot of 2020 cricket because I was playing international cricket. And here he comes. And, he was changing the field in practice between every ball. We've got like a centre practice. He's changing the field between every ball. He's like a conductor to an orchestra. He was moving things around as to how he was going to bowl. Took the captain out of the equation altogether. And he was about 18 years old at the time. I, I was mesmerised by the way he was. He was completely changing the game and changing the art because of 2020. I'd never seen it happen before. And it was like, there's an 18-year-old kid here about to take over the world because not only does he know what he's doing, he is you know, meticulously guarded in a position where he goes, right, I'm going to land the ball there and he's going to play the shot there and the field is in this position and I am in control of what's happening. And that was when he was 18 and he was still doing it when he was 37. He's had a wonderful career. Well, his favourite spell was against South Africa at the Wanderers and I have to say that uh, that was the most profound effect that I've firsthand witnessed and commentated on a bowler having an effect. It was a packed Saturday afternoon. The get, the test match was was on a knife edge. England were on the ropes, actually. And there were 30,000 beer-filled supporters screaming for South Africa <laughs> and the Wanderers. And he said it's a beast of a place to play as, a, as an overseas player. And he ran in and took seven bowls. South Africa up for 90. And, you know, the sound that 30,000 people who have been silenced makes <laughs> is, is quite extraordinary. Anyway, look, earlier on this afternoon, I caught up with Broad's former England and now Nottinghamshire, or <laughs> was Nottinghamshire head coach Peter Moores, who also paid tribute to Broad's career. It definitely made sense. Uh, it was a shock in some ways. I thought he was going to retire. I thought there was a good chance to retire at the end of the summer with the Ashes from quite a long way. Then he got so late into that test match and I thought no he's not going to do it he's going he's going to he's going to take on India in the winter and whatever um, so when he actually did it I was a bit surprised actually because I hadn't he hadn't said anything uh, I think we'd all thought it would have been perfect timing 
I mean, like most things that Stuart's done in his life with cricket, it, it is perfect timing. I mean, you you can't get better, can you? The, the last day, the last wicket of a of an Ashes series to tie it uh, against Australia, um, it was brilliant timing, and I was really pleased. That was the thing when he did announce he was going to tie. I was really pleased because for me, being lucky to coach him since two thousand and seven, it felt like the perfect time for him. Because of the sort of style of cricket it is, he's got to be totally up for it uh, to play at his best. He's always done that when he's played for England. And to go out of the top really felt like um, it was the right thing for him to do. And it, and it was a special moment. It was an extremely special moment, wasn't it? Um, there are, obviously, when such a great career comes to an end, uh, there's a tendency to feel a bit sad. But, but I, I, you know, the way that Stuart smiled his way through, I mean, he said that he he, he teared up a little bit when he told a couple of his teammates. But um, it's far, far more about celebrating the character, the personality right. and the cricketer than feeling sad. Absolutely. I mean, because he's given us some great moments, hasn't it? I mean, that's Stuart as a player. He's a devotional cricketer for me. I mean, the broad Anderson partnership that gets talked about all the time, Lots of things make that special. Getting wickets together and, and being together so long is one, but they're, they're nearly opposites for me. Uh, certainly as a coach, they are. As characters, they're very different. Jimmy's like a, a craftsman, a, a technician in the way he goes about it, where Stuart's the complete opposite. He's a, a, he's a tactician, uh, a competitor, uh, senses moments. And, and the sort of turning round of the bales is classic Broadie. He wants to get into the contest. He wants to get into the mind of the batter, but he wants to compete with somebody. And that to me was, it, it felt to me watching it against Australia, it's always brought the best out of him. And it was another moment. He finished on another moment. And, you know, we can all remember lots of different ones from Chesterley Street or whatever, which I remember because I was driving at the time and suddenly I'm listening to it on the radio and you could nearly hear the atmosphere in the radio as, and you can imagine Stuart then doing his three jumps at the back of his mark before he pumps his legs and comes in. That's what he's given, I think, a lot of fans. You can picture him doing it because of the way he goes about it. And he gets very connected to everything, the crowd, the game, um, the opposition. And he feeds off it and it always brings the best out of him. So we'll miss that. But I think you're dead right. I think I look back at that and think it felt the right time for me. There's a, if you can go out of the top within your own control, doesn't happen for everybody. Uh, I think you'll always look back and, uh, and it leaves a great taste in your mouth that you you did it on your terms, which I think is a lovely thing today. It certainly is. I mean, we've spoken a lot about him as a cricketer and uh, the fact that he took five wickets in a single spell seven times in test matches. Um, uh, you know, when Stuart Broad was on a roll, he was on a roll. But it's more the character that fascinates me. I, the beginning of the Gabba Test, 2014, when the whole of the city, the whole of the country had been galvanised against him um, and the noise, the reception, the hostility uh, when he stood at the top of his run for the for the first to bowl his first ball. I was watching from thousands of miles away in the middle of the night and I crumbled under the pressure of, the, of that yeah. intense vitriol. But but he just seemed not only to stand up to it, but to be motivated by it. Yeah. And it, and. He's ahead of the game, Stuart, so he knew it was going to come. So, you know, I think in the practice games there, he'd walk around the boundary just to get more abuse off the crowd to get used to it in the practice games building up because he was getting ready for his moment because it's about competition for me, for him. I know I'm going to get this. I'm ready for it. And it's going to bring the best out of me. That's what it's going to do. And it did. And it takes a special personality, a special character, I think, to play international cricket or any international sport because you are in the judgment game. You are going to be viewed and everything's going to be scrutinised and you've got to be a very strong character. You don't have to be loud or anything like that, but you've got to have a, a strong inner belief in yourself to be able to do that, which Stuart's definitely got. And it was tested. I mean, I think that series tested, tested a lot of people out um, to get through things like that. So you get the moments when it's going your way, it's going England's way because... He's gone through some tough ones as well, um, injuries and niggles and tough times as a player. And you earned the right to have your days in the sun, which certainly that was one yesterday. Peter, you've been kind enough to come on this programme with me and Harmy before. And you've spoken, um, well, look, he loves the spotlight at the very, very high end of, of, of his career playing playing Ashes cricket. But you've told us as well, or intimated that, you know, he, when there is no spotlight, you know, uh, on a cold april morning with nobody watching you've told you've told us he's he's had time for the for the youngest and and you know the least seemingly 
significant member of, of the Nottinghamshire squad. Yeah, I think I heard Chris Wokes, I think, uh, interviewed actually yesterday, and he mentioned how good Stuart was with him when he first came in the England team. Now, Stuart with the Knots lads, um, we had a really tough season at Knots in 2019. We'd had a, a strong team when I first joined with people like Chris Reed, and that team then in 18, a lot of them retired, six, seven players. 19 was a really tough year, and it was quite a tough year for Stuart actually as well. He's around, he had an ankle issue and stuff like that. And in 2020, we really had to get going and to try and get things moving. And as soon as we got Stuart around, Stuart started to help do classic Brody, really. He started to educate people, really, not just how to play, not to play the game, but how to think the game, how to make opposition not like to play against you, how to work as a team. And he got totally invested in that. And that sort of thing is is one of Brody's great strengths for me so I often say to people you know certainly as a coach if you if you're working with Stuart I'd often say he's the teacher you're the pupil look at it that way around because you're going to take a lot from him you're going to offer stuff in but it's a better way to do that um, because he's got a view he's got an opinion and it's, and it's worth listening to that's somewhere where young players we you know we got every time a young seamers he comes around I always put one of the young seamers to bowl with him in the nets and he always offers things, certainly for a lot of lads bowling round the wicket to left-handers, which he's become very good at. He'll talk about why he does it, what he does it for. And he adjusts himself, um, you know, lots of different examples throughout his career, really, when you might suggest to him as a coach, you know, I remember saying once you were getting left too much and you had to tighten his line. We gave him a few numbers of how much he was being left. And then he just basically agreed. And then he didn't need a coach to fix him. He went away by himself to the nets adjusted a couple of things in his run-up, changed his angle a little bit, and then straight away he was back on where he wanted to be. But he'd want to do it himself, I think, and that's a great trait to have as a sportsman. Peter, I know, like all the best coaches, you never give yourself any credit, at least not publicly. But at the end of Stuart Broad's career, can you, can you at least have a private little smile and, and pat yourself on the back for what you did for him during his career? Listen, I, you look back and you, you're part of it. And I, and I love the fact that I was part of it. And Stuart himself, he, you know, he'll say, he'll say the things that you do. And often you're honest with a player like that. But you coach them early. So I coached them at the National Academy back in 2007 as a young man, very driven. And they let you in to be honest with them what you're seeing. And sometimes you're saying it's great. And sometimes you're saying, listen, I don't think you're getting it right at the moment. I think there's things you've got to do. And if, if a player allowed that, you get that relationship with a player, you feel very privileged as a coach because, but I think players need it as well because we all need a little bit of, of just checking in at times to check we're where we need to be. And Stuart's always allowed me to do that, which I feel, I feel very privileged to do. And watching him go year on year and keep sort of reinventing himself. Um, the outswinger was one that gave me great, it was really funny because he'd, he'd started working at that for a while um, over two to three years. And we had lockdown in um, in the COVID time. We had lockdown at the ground. And I was doing some work with Joel Root. And Kevin Shine was doing some work with with um, with Brody and classic Brody and all those players who just want to get better all the time. He was working on an outswinger because he basically he's attacked the crease, a seam bowler, wobble seam, whatever they want to call it. But he attacks the knee roll. But he's working this outswinger. Couldn't quite get it on the line he wanted. Always a little bit too wide. But he just worked away and slowly but surely he was getting it tighter. Um, and it was this season, I think every read in the press, he was with us and he, you know, suddenly in the press, he said, you know, I've been, I practiced this for a long time for certain times because I think I'll get Marnus out and I'll get Smith out with it. And classic Brody, he did, he, you know, when the, when the test match first test came and he did it. And those sort of things make me smile because that's what I think he's always had. Jimmy's got it in a different way. They want to get better. But, you know, credit to him, the way he's gone about his cricket. He's always looked for an angle, always looked for an edge on a player, try to make the opposition feel uncomfortable. And I think they're great traits to have because that's what we expect from our best sportsmen when they come and play in big games we want them to win. That was former England and current Nottinghamshire head coach Peter Moores speaking to me a little earlier on today. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll continue to reflect on what has been a magnificent Ashes series. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast. As always, from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. So how will the Australians be feeling? Um, they didn't win any of their last three test matches and, and missed the chance to become the first side to win an Ashes in England since 2001. But they won the World Test Championship um, and they retained the Ashes. Uh, so before I ask you how they might be feeling, Harmy, let's hear from Pat Cummins. Whether we like it or not, you know, Ashes tended to find eras or legacies. Um, so I think if that's the case in this one, I think it's something we can be really proud of. Both, you know, the last two series over here, we've retained the Ashes. That doesn't happen very often. You know, 2001, I think it was the last time that we, we won an Ashes. Um, we didn't lose an Ashes over here. So it's something we should be proud of. The group's done some amazing, well, had some amazing achievements over the last few years. So if it is a legacy, yeah, that's one I'm happy to have. That was uh, Australian captain Pat Cummins. Well, David Warner, Osman Quadra, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood, and a few others may have probably, well, they have, almost certainly, certainly in David Warner's case, anyway, uh, played their final Ashes uh, Test match in England. Probably all of the, those, actually, and and maybe a few more. It's interesting, Harmy, for, you know, decades and decades, you you were aware, even as an England supporter, who the next generation of Australian players were. You know, there were so many great players scoring thousands of Sheffield Shield runs, taking taking wickets, and, you know, they couldn't get into the team. The depth in Australian cricket was was immense. And it was interesting, you know, hearing Mark Taylor and, and Ricky Ponting on commentary admitting that uh, that depth probably wasn't there. You know, the next generation is Cameron Bancroft, uh, Marcus Harris, Michael Nisa, obviously. I mean, I guess he comes into the team. He's probably very unlucky not to play one of these Ashes Test matches. But... But for the first time I can remember, that next generation of, of Aussies is not obvious. No, it's not. And normally the reason why we know them, because they're, they're sort of flooded into county cricket here. Every, <laughs> every county had a, an Australian um, because they were that good. You know, during my time, they liked you know, I played with Simon Cage, Martin Love, Brad Hodge, that came to Durham. But if you look around, they liked Stewie Law, Darren Lehman. Uh, they couldn't get into the, the national team. 20 odd years ago, their second team was better than any other any other test playing nation outside the big three. So it is going to be a transition. I actually think Australia have got more questions to answer from a transition than England. I think England just need a bowling attack. I think Australia need they need a couple of batters, a couple of bowlers. Um, where the next spin bowler is, I think Murphy's a decent option, but Pat didn't want to use him as much as he didn't really trust him as much as. Nathan Lyon, I think Nathan Lyon played in this series. I think they probably would have won. Um, but when you look at it, I think their transitions is going to be more difficult than than England's because they need at both spectrum, both sides. You have both 
bat and ball, where England, I think in even in four years' time, I think in four years' time, you look at England's top set, top six especially, I think it might be the same. Spokes playing as a batter, Root will still be around, I think. Um, and it'll just be a case of who slots in at number seven with the gloves if Johnny Bairstow's body can't move the way he would want to move because he's just that little bit. I think he's probably the one that you would say is, won't be there in, in four years' time. So I think from that point of view, England just need a bowling attack, but Australia have got more questions to answer. Do you know what, Harmy? If I was a spinner in England, and there's no shortage of them, I think that I would feel very, very marginalised by all the talk of England don't have any spinners. So Moen Ali's not going to India. You know, it's obvious, isn't it, that even if Ben Stokes... I mean, there's like a 1% chance now. I mean, Mo, Mo has said, I'm done, I'm done. But, you know, even if Ben said, please, I want you to come to India, I think Mo's going to say, no, <laughs> you've, you've used up your last get-out-of-jail card. Um, and so, so, so Jack Leach goes to India if he's fit. I mean, there's Liam Dawson, I guess, is the, is the, the obvious second spinner. But all this talk about there being no spinners in, in England... That's not true. That there are spinners, and as I said, I reckon there's probably half a dozen thinking, "Hang on a minute, what do you mean there's no spinners? What, what am I doing?" Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. There are spinners. There are spinners. The problem they are is they're all sort of wet behind the ear and they're a bit young, and they drop them into an Indian series. I think we've got we've got half a dozen spinners who are a lot older, and we've got half a dozen spinners who are very very young. I don't think we've got too much in the middle ground, and that is, I think that's the that's the issue. So how you get their next phase of development is is huge. I think you have to take them on this tour to India without exposing them unless you really think that, they're one, then they need to be exposed, or two, um, we've got no choice. We have to expose them and, and hope that it's sink or swim time. Uh, the young Carson at Sussex, I think he's a, a one that they like. Obviously, Rian Ahmed will go to India. Um, you've got Will Jacks who went to Pakistan. I quite like this show of uh, Bashir at, at Somerset. He's really, the, the limited stuff I've seen on streams watching him, big tall guy, and he gets over the top, you know, uses all of his height, got a, you know, a decent flight, possibly bowls a bit slow for, for, for India's, but that that would be a work in progress. The boy's 19-year-old. Um, Liam Patterson-White went on the on the, the Lions trip. So he's a bit older, 24, so he possibly as he's got a little bit more experience about him. So he could potentially go as a as a second spinner if you don't want to go down the Liam Dawson route. But from where England are, Moen, the thing with Moen was they had to ask Moen. You had one week, two weeks before Jack, where, while Jack Leach got injured, to go into a, a big six, six test match of the summer. I think that fortnight, there was needs must, you had to go to Moen. No question whatsoever. You've now got six months to find and plan how somebody's pathway for the first test in India in January to go, right, end of January, we need three spinners that have had enough bowling under their belt to go in potentially to play one, two, three, four, five test matches, whichever way that, that spinner is. The obvious choice is Jack Leach. There's not a foregone conclusion that Jack Leach is going to be available. So Leach, Carson, Riyad Ahmed, Liam Dawson, Justin Case as a as a backup. Um, Jacks, they're the ones I'd be I'd be looking at. Probably the ones that are in pole position at this minute in time. Um, so there are spinners, and just unfortunately they're not being exposed. And I think this is where now Rob Key and the um, the management structure have got to be able to make sure that these bowlers have bowled enough overs to go and be ready for when India come around. Finally, very quickly, um, Harmi, the BCCI took months and months and months to finally put the World Cup schedule together. And 24 hours later, they said, oh, hang on, we might have to make a few changes to that after it was announced worldwide. Then they announced the five test venues for England's tour. And I must say there are probably a few tour operators uh, getting the map out, trying to find uh, where these places are. I mean, they have a rotation system where they, they share international fixtures out. Um and there's no Chennai, no Mumbai, no Kolkata. You know, that, I mean, it's, I don't want to say backwaters, but they are. It's a little bit like it's uh, the SEA 20 and uh, the New Zealand thing. It's like, right, we're going to rotate the bowlers. So Kigisa Rabada, Onrik Nokia, you're staying at home to play in the SEA 20. 
and the, the under-19 bowlers are going out to, 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 to New Zealand to play cricket. So you look at the five venues, not one of the five venues has had five test matches. So I can't imagine the Barmy Army be too too happy with uh, the, how they're going to get their, their supporters because they will go. There's no question the Barmy Army will travel to India. It's just going to take them a little bit more than planes, trains and automobiles to get there. You know, wherever they go, it's going to be, hopefully it's going to be great cricket. Um, and five test matches, England against India. Mouthwatering, yes. But the next phase of basketball is going to be tested. They came back against Australia in the Ashes. Over there, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a great test for, for Brendan and Ben. And hopefully we're going to unearth some new talent. Because we're going to have to have a different fast bowler, and we're going to have to have a couple of spinners. There's going to be, there has to be a big squad goes out there. So hopefully they get the exposure and experience enough to just keep this baseball going and evolving to keep English cricket on the front foot, which would be great to see. It's going to be a great test for the Barmy Army as well, I tell you. Okay, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer Steve Harmison. Now, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined by. Former Kent batter David Fulton, now broadcaster as well, and Alan Eagleston's brother Kevin, uh, to talk about um, Iggy's Fund, a charity set up after the passing of former England bowler, fast bowler Alan Eagleston in November 2021. Now, the charity's raised over £350,000 since it uh, was set up, and the PCA played a huge role, didn't they, in in uh, um, Iggy's final years? Begin with you, Kevin. Um, did, he passed yeah. away from, uh, he had a brain tumour, didn't he? And, That's right, um, yeah. Um, got diagnosed in 1999, shortly after he retired. Yeah, and he, he battled on for a long time, but the PCA were, were superb. The last, the last five or six years, his quality of life wasn't great. Um, the PCA stepped in with all kinds of stuff, chairlifts at home, stairlifts, handles everywhere. They donated money every month because he needed taxis everywhere to get to the hospital. So, yeah, they were incredible, yeah. Um, Graham Gooch, through his foundation, donated a motorised scooter as well. So the cricket family really kind of pulled together. So forever grateful for them. And, you, uh, Kevin, you've got three games, three cricket games coming up. I'm hearing some <laughs> some former old faces are, are putting the whites back on again. I tell you yeah. what, I, I would work with Toughers during the week at, at, yeah. um, at the Oval in... Tell you what, the way he was moving on stage, I reckon he's got a few overs left in him. I've tried to get the whites on him, but he, he's uh, <laughs> getting him on the golf course is about as far as we can get him, I think, or the bar. So, um, talk us about the three games, tell us about when they are and who they play. Yeah, well, basically, we, we've had three already. We have one, the first one was against Westrum, which was where Alan started his cricket, and then we had a game down in Hampshire for Hartley Whitney, they were a local team to the chairman of the Brain Tumor Charity. So we've had a game against them the last couple of seasons, which is really good. We had a game against Holmesdale, another one of Alan's former um, teams. And then this week we've got quite a big day. We've got 180 sitting down for lunch at Leeds and Broomfield, who um, have just got to Lords in the Village Cup final. So looking forward to that. It should be a great day. And then we've got the last game is, is in Bingley in Yorkshire. Alan kind of settled and played club cricket towards the end of his uh, playing days. So, um, yeah, really pleased with how it's going so far. Dave Fulton, if I can bring you in, you're an ambassador for for Iggy's Fund, and I know you're you're playing in these in these games um, as well. Tell us a little bit about your role and and how people can can help contribute, donate. Um, well, I mean, obviously we wanted to turn out at the games. I'm not playing matters in, in, in these particular oh. matches because I'm trying to complete a, a, a Masters at the moment, which I'm behind on. <laughs> I've got about three weeks to deadline. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the role I predominantly play is at the golf day last year. Iggy's had a fantastic golf day for the last 20 years or so. It feels yeah. something along those lines. That's where they've raised the, the bulk of their money over the years. And we had some fantastic support for the, the, the golf day. We had um, a brilliant auction um, at last October's golf day. It was the first one since um, Iggy's passing. And it was amazing to see the, the turnout and the fact that people really want his legacy to, to, to keep going. So um, you know, I was able to host that, do the auction. John Terry was there. It helps if you've got a former Premier League footballer who's happy to bid on items. That helps. Mm. 
Um, and it was a, it was a, it was a really good um, it was a good turnout, lovely atmosphere. The year before, when 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 Iggy was really poorly, and um, we did a, a like a, a video link up, Kev, didn't we, to him yeah. at his home? Yeah. And we were able to have a chat with him through the big screen, and that was the last time that a lot of people would have seen him. Um, and you could you could tell he was in a bad way, but you could tell how much that event meant to him and the fact that he still wanted to be there. Um, albeit via video link. So, yeah, I mean, the lovely thing is because he meant so much to so many of us that played with him um, and that knew him is that, you know, his legacy does live on. And the fact that Kev's set up Iggy's Fun um, means that people will will keep coming to these events, hopefully for, for a very, very long time. You know, I'm, I'm keen to get my Masters done and, and get the whites on. Um, I am playing a little bit and, um, you know, we'll be supporting the golf day. So, yeah, I mean, essentially it's, it's, it's turnout. It's get, follow you on social media. Kev, isn't it? Follow the fund on social yeah. media. Have a look at the website, see what's going on. Um, and, and please do get involved because it's the, the big man's legacy we're keen to preserve. And Kevin, where do we, how do you get involved? Give us the, 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 the sort of where's and why for's of, of, um, of how to get involved in Iggy's fund. We've got a um, link on the on the website where people can give their details. We're yet to kind of get the donate stuff up and running because the bank account has only just been opened. But we're collecting people's information on the website, on Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, all the social media stuff. So, yeah, we're getting quite a good um, group together now. So it's proving quite good, but it's just a new charity. It's just... This is going to obviously help today just to get it out there, really. So. That's fantastic. Folks, I only met, met Adam Nicholson once. I think it was in 1998. Obviously, my one of my best mates, Rob Key. Um, I was down at uh, Canterbury playing, I think it was one of my early games. Um, I think you were injured. Keys, you got 100, which he keeps reminding me on. But... You've come. You've been. I've been around Keezy for you know all my cricketing career. You have as well. One was it a surprise when he was picked the job as managing director, and two, can you believe the job that Rob Key's done, having shared the dressing room with him for the last sort of seven or eight years of your career? If you'd have said at the beginning of Rob Key's career when he was that kind of chubby little upstart opening batsman, with I coached, he was my first coaching gig. I was eighteen. I think he was ten. And yeah, I mean, if you'd have said anywhere between age 10 and probably when he retired from cricket, or certainly up to the point that he took over for me as captain of Ken, if you'd have said this guy's going to be running English cricket, you know, you, you would have spat your tea across the room, that's for certain. But you're right, he's done a marvellous job. And I always said at the time, because when he got appointed, I got asked, you know, what can we expect from him? And I said, do not underestimate Rob Key, because on the surface, there's that kind of cynical, slightly, he's, he's got that humour. But underneath is a, is a very intelligent and, and thoughtful guy. Um, who has mixed with a lot of very, very good cricket brains, yourself included, Harley. But he will, he will say a lot, of his, a lot of his views will be shaped by the likes of Warney, Ponting, you know, a lot of these guys that he shared a commentary box with. And, and you know what it's like. There's a lot of, you're on air, you're commentating, but there's a lot of downtime where you're throwing ideas around and you're talking cricket and, and talking about the where, the where the game's at. He would have sifted through a lot of those ideas um, and worked out what could work for England. And suddenly when he was in the frame, you thought, actually, this is this could work. This is not a bad fit. And then it's about people and he's good with people and he's made some fantastic appointments. I think Ben Stokes as captain was a no-brainer, but the McCullum for test coach, I don't think too many people saw that coming and that's proved to be a masterstroke. So, um, yeah, Keezy deserves a lot of credit. And, and, and what a test series we just had. And, and then it, it kind of comes around nicely to Iggy because you know, Iggy's debut was at the Oval, Kev, wasn't it, back in back in 89? Yeah. Um, so yeah. what was that, 34 years ago that Iggy was mm-hmm. plucked? And the difference then to now, I mean, Iggy wasn't first choice. I think you, he'd, he'd happily put his hand up and say that. You know, Jimmy and Brody and these guys have been around forever. Um, it's a very different scenario. Final point from me to both of you. Um, I actually saw quite a bit of Iggy um, because uh, in the 90s, Bob Woolmer was coach of Boyland in South Africa. And uh, I presume that it was him that, uh, that that signed Iggy up. And um, I must say that the reaction from the fairly hardcore South Africans was that this bloke's far too nice a guy to be a fast bowler. <laughs> yeah, he went to, he met Bob at Avondale, which was a, I think Dave played there for a season or two as well. Uh, Bob and the great Stuart Leary, 
the ex-Kent and Charlton footballer. Alan went there in the winters and met Bob and then went on to play for Boland and Western Province while he was there. Yeah, and Iggy, Iggy sorted, sorted me out with Avondale when I was first out of uni playing full-time at Kent. He, um, he said to me, are you looking to go away? And I said, I'd love to go away. I'd love to go to South Africa. Um, but I haven't been able to line anything up. And he went, leave it with me. Came back half an hour later. He said, yep, you're all sorted. My old club at Avondale. Um, and I had a couple of lovely years in, in, in South Africa. Um, and as soon as Iggy put the phone call in, if he was recommending you, then, then, then people took you. So that's the kind of guy he was. And just remind us, Kevin, about where you, what the website's called, what, uh, how do you get onto the web to get the information? And obviously a little push to plug these games and who's going to be turning up and, you know, how, how, what, what sort of great people are, or great friends of Alan Nicholson that, you know, you potentially could meet during these times. Yeah, we've got, it's uh, www.iggysfund.com. I think we've got eight or nine kind of ambassadors. Matthew Fleming is our president. We've got uh, Phil and Dawn, Tufnell, Darren Stevens. We've got current players, Sam Northeast, Harry Podmore, Martin McCaig, Steve Marsh, Dave, John Salarco. Uh, so we've got a nice bunch of people and a lot of them will be there on Friday at Leeds and Broomfield. Um, also, we've got your old keeper, Geraint Jones, is, is putting the pads on. So it'd be good to see him there. Um, Richard Ellison, I can try and squeeze into his whites if he's still got them. So <laughs> there'd be a lot of, uh, yeah, we've got a few. Current Ken Captain, uh, Jack Leaning, one of our ambassadors as well. He's going to be playing. So, yeah, we've got a good turnout. All the details are on the website and follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook. Okay, Fultz, just before we go, you've got 30 seconds to tell us your favourite story about facing Harmy and the battles you would have had in the county cricket. Yeah, that was that was pretty easy, man. It was 1997, Harmy, big kind of mop of hair, um, flying in on a crazy paved wicket at Canterbury where we bulked Durham out for not very many. And I remember Martin Spate got one that pitched on a good length and went over his head. He then went back to the next one, which pitched in the same place and hit the base of off stump. It was a ridiculous wicket. Harmy actually came out and got a few at number 11. Yeah. And then we thought, we're going to have to go and face these guys. And he luckily, he was raw in those days. And he saw a quick bouncy wicket that flew all over the place and he flapped it in trying to bowl at our heads. And I think people knew if you bowl at me, you just had to pitch it up. But luckily, Harmy bowled at my head. I was able to get a few with Kesey. And in the second innings, um, we were in danger of batting again. Um, we had Durham nine down when Harmy obviously came out at number 11. And they were still 30 needed to make us bat again. And I thought this wicket was going all over the place. And, and luckily we won by an innings, and I think three runs, because the thought of going out to face Harmy, who was, you know, hostile, but um, a little bit erratic in that particular match, I think it's yeah. fair to say. I yeah. didn't have to go and I didn't want to have to go and knock off five. <laughs> I could have been killed. Luckily we won by an innings and three runs, I think. Yeah, it was Keezy's first first last hundred. He keeps reminding me about that as well. I remember I remember that game. He's got off to a good start. And then I think I got Carl Hooper out first ball. He's got a few runs. Carl Hooper first ball. And then Steve Marsh came in and smashed it. Basically, knew I wasn't I couldn't hit the stumps in them days. I was very raw. Couldn't hit the stumps in them days and smashed it everywhere. I seen Steve Marshy and actually great story. I seen Marshy in Portugal um at the end of last year in all Rob Key talked about in his informative years was Steve Marsh. Marshy this, Marshy that. I sent him a picture of me and Marshy. It shows you how good a friend Keezy was because Keezy didn't recognise who he was. I said, <laughs> Keezy, who's this? Your hero. And he went, you? I said, it's not me. You did. I said, who is this? Yeah. Hadn't a clue. Obviously, Marshy, grey hair, a little bit older. A little bit older. <laughs> he's aged a bit, so he's enjoyed 60 years of, of, of being on this planet. But great times. Um, folks, thanks very much. Kevin, an absolute star. Keep up the good work. We really appreciate you coming on. And um, anything we can do, we'd love to help because Alan Eggleston, former England cricketer, a great man, died far too soon. Thanks very much. Yeah, appreciate it. And finally, on to uh, the other stories that have been catching our attention. I've got to ask you about Yorkshire, um, Harmy. Finally, uh, their sanctions have, were announced to 48 points. Um, not going to make much difference at the bottom of uh, Division 2 anyway. Uh, £400,000 fine, 300000 of it suspended. I, I have to say that uh, some people were expecting worse. I mean, they're pretty strong sanctions, but um, not going to break break the club, are they? No, I've, I've been with Darren Goff all week and 
we've had arguments, discussions, and as we normally do on Talksport when we uh, when we do the coverage, um, we like a little a little argument. And I can see his argument, and, and there's uh, two parts of the way I see it. You look at it and go, you got to be balanced because Yorkshire, a, a big county who produce players who who have done huge amount of things for the game, and you you've got to try and work out what's the best sanction for them. Um, because of they have got their house in order, they are moving forward. You know what they do with the, the, the junior coaching and the kids for free is brilliant. It's it's admirable. But and this is the big but. I think they've had their bellies tickled in this one. I really do. I really struggle to understand how the ECB have come to this conclusion. To find them four hundred thousand, which three hundred is suspended. They've got no money to pay that. They can find them. Four points in the blast, of which has just happened, and they didn't qualify anywhere. It's like saying to Liverpool, we're going to kick you out of the FA Cup in the fourth round when they got knocked out in the third round anyway. 48 points in the championship. Well, they, were never going to, they were never going to get promoted anyway, so it's a token gesture, which I don't, I, I don't think is right. I know Yorkshire are, are going in the right direction. They're looking for closure, but they're still committed at four offences that they admitted that they were guilty to. So... Like shoplifting, nicking loads of stuff, and then taking it back and saying, "Oh well, don't punish me because I brought it back." He committed the crime in the first place anyway. So I compare think, it to the way ECB treated Durham a few years ago. Well, it's, there's no comparison whatsoever. Durham were obliterated. You now they got relegated. They got multiple point sections for year upon year. Um, five, four or five of the international players thought, "There's no way I can play international cricket for Durham." because they're not going to be in the top division for the next four or five years. Durham are just starting to get themselves back on their feet from that 2016. That was obviously what was struggling financially. This has been a... They've been found, Yorkshire have been found guilty of something, which I think is nearly... I mean, it's it's made the, it's took the game to a, a level of um, front-page news. I didn't think the game could ever go to. I'm pleased and what I expect for Darren and for, for the board at Yorkshire, because... Since they've come in, they've done a brilliant job, but they still committed the crime. Yorkshire still needed to be punished, in my opinion. And I think what's happened is I think they've rolled over and ECB have tickled their belly and, you know, come next year. And, and this is what I said to Darren the other day. Why, why don't you just play the academy and four-year cricket because you're going to be at the bottom of the league and play all your your first-team players in the Royal in the, in the the 50-over competition? You can go and win the 50-over competition. You had no sanctions on that. And then Yorkshire could easily, at the end of this season, about £100,000 fine, still be in the second division, no question on the blast, and win a trophy. They've kept their test match status. Durham lost their test match status. They can say whatever they want, ECB, to me, about it was nothing to do with the 100. They needed nine teams to go into eight, eight grounds. They lost their test match status. Financially, Durham were crippled, largely down to the fact that they spent far too much money 800,000 on a media centre. And when the TV come up there now, because we've got no international games other than T20 or one day, and when they do the uh, the TV games, they commentate from a side of the pitch on a caravan. So you wonder why I'm a bit bitter. <laughs> well, homie, Scotland and Ireland uh, managed to qualify from the European qualifying group against the might of Austria, Germany, Italy, Jersey and Denmark. So no massive surprises there, but they did an emphatic job, as you would expect, I mean, the two professional teams there. Papua New Guinea also uh, qualified for the G20 World Cup. Um, there's that story. Ollie Stone injured again out of the 100 with another hamstring injury. It must be beyond frustrating for him. And uh, finally, the story that caught my eye, Rod Bransgrove. What a legacy he leaves behind at Hampshire. He'll be stepping down from all cricket activities at the end of the summer. So take your pick. Yeah, it's good to see, obviously, when countries qualify, especially the ones so close to us, because I still think we, there's a huge chance of this getting the region of Ireland, Scotland, um, the Netherlands and in, in the European area to sort of be a, a good ally for England and teams coming across, especially in the short format. It's heartbreaking for Ollie Stone. It really is. I don't know where he, he goes and he, he can keep holding hope like, like Josh Tung, Josh Tung had had the conversation with the PCA about retirement and, and he's still going to come back again and again and again. 
to be out of the 100, another one out of the 100, which is massive for the 100. Rashid Khan has pulled out of the 100, which is which is huge news. And Rod, my old mate Rod, uh, well, I hope he enjoys retirement because he's done unbelievable down on the South Coast. He really has. He's been Mr. Hampshire, took the punt all them years ago, put a lot of his own money in, brought the great man Shane Warne to Southampton, then across to the Rose Bowl, the GS Bowl. He deserves every every credit he's going to get at the end of this summer when he, he does eventually retire. And um, I think the best way, and I think the, the fitting way for Rod Bram, Bram's ghost to retire is five days of Ashes cricket at the AGS Bowl in 2027. I hope Rod enjoys them five days when they come around because that is his legacy, what he's done for, for, for cricket in Hampshire and what he's done to try and get the Aegeus Bowl into a position to get an Ashes Test match. And congratulations to Rod Bramsgrove and enjoy your retirement. Well, you've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at all the biggest stories of the week. But for now, this has been another edition of The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.